0: and welcome to That Wellness Podcast with Natalie Deering. I'm sitting here today with Gail West. Gail is an internationally known teacher, transformational coach, money mentor, and spiritual guide. For over 30 years, she has been a midwife to magnificent businesses, careers, and lives. She's passionate about shifting the current paradigm of money and success To facilitate a more collaborative and generous world where we all can thrive. She is a level three trained certified IFS practitioner. She holds degrees in psychology, art, and divinity. And she is the author of the book, Money Come Dance With Me, which is what we will be diving into today. Welcome Gail to the podcast.
1: I'm so excited to be here, Natalie.
0: I'm so excited that you're here too, truly. And I have to say, your name was a name that I wrote down on my original brainstorming list as I was thinking about doing a podcast. Your name was one of the the originals that I put on that list, so I'm very excited.
1: I'm delighted.
0: <laughs> and we were we were chatting before we hit record about you know kind of how I've come to know you and all of that, and but I like to share that with the listeners if that's oh, okay cool. with you, and so yeah i came to know you a couple years ago you were offering a seminar in the ifs conference and it was it was virtual at the time i know this year is going to be the first year what in like 4 years or something where it's going to be in person it was virtual and you were offering a seminar based on the information in your book money come dance with me and i attended your session it was live and it was really really powerful for me mm-hmm. and I'll be sharing throughout our conversation, you know, some just how I resonate with each of these things that you talk about in your book, because money is, well, I feel like money, every single person on this planet, most likely is going to be interacting with some sort of money and therefore is going to have wounds, legacy burdens, beliefs, gifts connecting to money. And so I feel like this, your information is something that will benefit everyone, but it especially, yeah, spoke to me that day, which is yeah. why, yeah, I wanted to interview you for sure on here.
1: I'm, I'm really honored to be here. And, you know, it's interesting because one of the things I say in my book is that money is one of the most intimate relationships that you will have. And people don't realize that they actually have a relationship to money. Um, yeah. You know, so many people say, well, it's just energy or, um, but you know, is, and, and is energy evil? Do we have a relationship to energy? No. <laughs> you know, we, have, when you say, I don't like money. it's so I, I had a friend of mine who goes, I hate money. Like you don't hate an energy. You hate, a. that's a relationship that you have and people mm. don't recognize
0: that it's a relationship. So would that be different than like, let's say someone is in like a relationship with a person? And they're like, oh, I hate that person. And money, I mean, obviously, we have like the paper money, we have coins, we have credit cards, we have now money comes in so many different objects. Right. I guess, does that resonate differently than like our relationships with other objects or beings?
1: Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because I I differentiate the, um, the coins or the credit cards or whatever Um that we have the physical manifestations of money as opposed to money itself. So one of the things I talk about is that, um, that. so Dick talks about this too. He talks about countries as having a consciousness. That's right. And um, and so if, if money has a consciousness, so if you think about that, that anything that, any system that's been created, we have a relationship and it has a consciousness. So if countries have a consciousness, money has a consciousness because everybody uses it. And businesses have
0: a consciousness, which is what you talk about. Totally.
1: Businesses have a consciousness.
0: And that consciousness and that energy that maybe they're emitting, but maybe the, like, let's say me, for example, I have my private practice. I have my podcast, right? So these are businesses. If I don't have a conscious relationship with these businesses that I am creating then that's where would you say then there can feel like a disconnect?
1: Yeah. T- t- typically I I work with businesses and one of the things I, you know, I was working with this one guy and I said, you know, your business is like a it like a mistress. It's a mistress. You don't really connect to it um consciously and and and
0: give it the energy that it wants. And then therefore kind of like in another in a human type of relationships, eventually that could lead to issues
1: yep. yep yeah a yeah. lot yeah and honestly our one of the things I say is that money is one of the greatest spiritual teachers that you can have <laughs> it tells us our values the way we think about ourselves how how we value ourselves um, how we are as in relationship to generosity with ourselves and others um how we uh, our beliefs and all of those things are related to money. And it's, it's how we
0: work with money. And that is a manifestation of that relationship. And that makes so much sense to me as you talk about it in that way. And at the same time, I feel like, and you tell me if you agree or not, I feel like a cultural burden, at least in some areas of the United States would be this kind of money as a taboo topic. You know, you don't bring up money with other people. You don't talk about money and, And I feel like that kind of, and we can get into that, right, as we talk about even like legacy burdens and things like that. But just even addressing like the cultural consciousness of how we view money is going to have an impact on us in some way. And it also gets down into like your family's beliefs and and all of that. But that's going to have an impact on how we, I'm just thinking about, instances in my life, for example, where like, I've brought up like a question with a group of people regarding like money in a money thing. And you can see in some parts of people, they get really activated. And I've had instances where even people have said to me, like, I don't feel comfortable talking about that. And it's like, oh, and that kind of sends these messages, right? Sometimes overtly, but sometimes covertly of like, oh, so money is something that Maybe we would
1: see it's, it's a secret. It's it's a
0: secret, right?
1: Yeah. And a lot of, you know, it's funny because I lived in China for a while and um I get into a cab and this guy would, you know, the cab driver would say in Chinese, um, how much money do you make? <laughs> and I'd say, you know, in Chinese, by bad Chinese said foreigners don't talk about that, that they think that's rude. But <laughs> um, I think about cultural burdens. I, I just did a um a uh, keynote for the American Society of dowsers on money meaning the power of the collective and uh, and one of the things I talked about was that money has many many cultural burdens in the United States um, we don't realize that the depression the cultural one of the cultural burdens of the depression is still in the field mm. and and honestly if you think about the um the wall street and that that is controlled by fear and optimism right a lot of uh, whether or not um the stocks go up or stocks go down it has to do with whether or not as a cultural cultural entity we are optimistic or we're fearful mhm and that's really that's instantaneous almost and that's in the field whether or not it's real or not doesn't make sense right and it doesn't matter
0: yeah absolutely and yeah i feel like we can dive into all of this and but i do want to kind of put a pin in that and kind of start with what has been your journey to IFS because i'm always curious when someone is connected to the IFS community what brought them there or how did you get there
1: well i had a uh private practice and um And I was doing Hakomi, which uh, was—it's still around. It's a mind-body system. And then um, I was part of a group, and they one day they were going, "Well, we're going to go down to um, the University of Illinois, which is where Dick was. um, He uh, was—I think the Institute for Juvenile Research. There's this new, there's this new kind of um, therapy that um, we want to learn about. So it was a one-day program, and I remember—I still have the little sheet." (laughs) that was describing like his model Mm. um that was in 1990 it was a long time ago that's how i got and then um i i got i would started a a um so then they started a consult group with him and we met every month so and then my the the first training was in 1996 and it was in my apartment so i've been around (laughs) ifs for many (laughs) years
0: So what was the so what was in between 1990 and 1996?
1: Well, you know it's interesting because I had started um, using the language of IFS anyway in my work, so it seemed like a really um, a natural kind of movement towards IFS work. And then um, we were working with I was working with Dick anyway, so we were every so
0: I was in a consult group with him for almost 15 years. Wow, yeah. And then the first, would you, are you saying like official training was in your apartment? Nineteen ninety six. Yeah,
1: the first official training, and then w- there was no level ones, level twos, level threes. Okay, so it was
0: just, I think it was two years. Yeah, it was just a training, right? It was well, just a learning training. ifs, yeah,
1: and it was that way for quite a long time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now there's yeah three levels, and now all these sub.
1: Sub groups. levels, sub levels, and
0: <laughs> <laughs> it has sub exploded. Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it has extreme. exploded.
1: Well, you know, I was telling Dick this because I did an interview with him um, a couple of months ago. That I one of the things I really admire about him, as opposed to a lot of other, you know, um, gurus, we don't, we're not going to call him a guru. Mm. Um, pro uh, people that create these mo- mod- modalities, they usually never grow. Mm-hmm. And he continues to grow. He continues to expand. He continues to work on himself
0: because mm-hmm. a lot of
1: them don't work on themselves either. And so um, o- it really opening the door to many, many possibilities and incorporating. So a lot of actually a lot of the first trainers were Hakomi people. So uh, the working with the body um, is comes from Hakomi.
0: Oh, yeah. Right.
1: So and, in, that was re- integrated
0: in um, in the programs in 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 an IFS. That's so neat to hear, and that makes a lot of sense. And I think it was, would you say, like a divine intervention that probably that all happened because starting with the body, like with IFS, it's like okay, if we have a target part or oh, we yeah. notice where is on your, your body, yeah. Feel, um, what, what's what the feeling of it? Yeah, that's all from Hakomi. Very neat. That's a cool thing to know. IFS trivia. (laughs) Where did that
1: come from? (laughs) And then way back then, it was like when when you were going to unburden somebody, you would send them off to this healing place beyond the horizon, and and then then they would come back magically healed. And so that's Ah. that's not what people do anymore, but that was way back when. So it's really grown and um, morphed into all this. So that's... All these other um, ideas and, and ways to work with it.
0: Very neat. And
1: I and, agree We talk you. about protectors. Oh. Managers, managers and firefighters.
0: But now there's this whole protector thing. Well, that's right. a protector and that's a protector and that's a protector. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's focused more so originally if it's a firefighter or a manager.
1: Yeah. Firefighters, managers, and exiles.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. That was it. Well, and I <laughs> think, I think, you know, something that, is coming about like let's say from quote unquote guru or whatever you know, that's invented something that is a resource or a healing modality. I feel like when there's a willingness to evolve, right, where there's this flexibility to because things are going to come forward over time that as pe more and more people engage in this model, someone multiple people might be like, hey, you know what? I've been trying this and this is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. let me what about inviting this or what if we switched up this right like these these models are living breathing things would you say has its own consciousness
1: <laughs> it, it does have its own consciousness and it's not a static model and that's what I love about IFS it's not exactly
0: static. right
1: it's it's a, dy- it's a very dynamic model
0: yeah and I feel that coming from Dick right that he's not like stuck you know, in this way of thinking of like, Oh no, it's gotta be like the, you know, I can just sense within him when he does his talks and other podcasts and trainings that it's kind of like, Oh yeah. What about this? What about that? And there's this openness, right? He's, he's grown a lot and that's what I really admire about him does his own work. And so you got involved with IFS introduced to it like in 1990, held the first official training in your apartment in 1996. And then where did money come about for you as a specialty? How did that happen?
1: Well, that's a real journey. Um, (laughs) So I went to in 2005, I just needed life reset. And I actually didn't want to do therapy anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know what else to do because that was what I did and so i had a friend of mine i uh, was teaching at columbia college which is uh, chicago which is a art school and that's where i have my, my uh, master's in fine arts from and um so one of my colleagues said he was going to china and i said mm-hmm, yeah you and me both so <laughs> he went and i said i'm at his going away party and i said oh my god if he can do it i can too and so the next year i went and they put me in the business department because of my background in, in psychology, a lot of business, So like consumer behavior, which is a psychology of buying, organizational behavior, all these kinds mm-hmm. of uh, management. And I found that I really liked it. And I really had kind of a, a sense of that because, um, you know, as a private practice and I did workshops and whatever for many, many years, you you have your own business, basically. So when I came back uh, and then I was trained in something called uh, Ka- the Akashic records, which is an access tool to um, what I s- tell my students, the Google of the universe, it's an access tool to consciousness. Mm. I was trained in that in 1998. So, and it would, I just basically used it for my clients. I didn't really talk about that. I didn't. I And then uh, when I came back um, from From China in 2000, about 2009, 2000, between 2009, because I kind of went back and forth in 2011. I decided I want to get trained and I wanted to get certified and teach it and go back to China to help them reconnect to their own wisdom, because that was ripped away from them during the Cultural Revolution, which obviously didn't happen. One of the things we had to do in the training was open the Akashic records every day. And I kept Mm. hearing, work in the records of businesses, work in the records of businesses. And I said to my my mentor at the time, I said, do businesses have records or basically consciousness? And she said, everything has records, everything has a consciousness. So I reached out to um, a lot of my colleagues at the time and I said, can I open the records, the records of your business, the soul of your business and the, and the business of your soul? So mm. And so one of the things I found was that, The businesses actually did have a consciousness. They did talk to me. They Oftentimes, they were really frustrated because the owner of the business was holding them back. They wanted to expand. And then one day, I thought, well, I've had issues with money. These people have issues with money. I wonder if you can open the records if money has a consciousness and that's how it started i still Mm. have my first journal money how do you grow (laughs) yeah and it was fascinating because i talked about i have the first conversation in my book where money says um you know talked about costa rica and how costa rica was not a country that lived in fear It And as a result, they didn't have uh, an army. So they could use that money. I mean, we spend a lot, a lot, a lot of money on our army and very little on education. So they could use that money that wasn't spent on an army to have people connect to their beauty. And if you think about it, it is the only country in Central
0: America that doesn't have the struggles that all the other countries have. That's so interesting, isn't it? That you don't think about that of like, where is our money going to? And if the majority of the funds in a country, let's say, are going towards this fear of war and violence and all of that, then it's like, okay, then that's going to be kind of, that's going to be the energy. (laughs) And
1: then went on to say, you know,
0: uh increasingly
1: the United States, we think that we have freedom, but increasingly it's it's a country that lives in fear, and we have increasingly an energy of haves and haves not. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's and it, and then money said, It's wrong to think I don't have a consciousness. I do, and I mm-hmm. want to be an agent for good. So that's how I started getting into money. Um, and I'd get up every day and talk to money and have a and Money started helping me talking about how my receiving channels were really muddy and I had to open my receiving channels. So, so mm-hmm. you know, a lot of um, our ability to bring good into our lives has
0: to do with our ability to allow good to come. And, and that includes money. Exactly. And we'll get into talking about that, right? And the one of your sections of your book where you really get into opening your receiving channels and and all of that because we can have these barriers right or would you say protector parts or burdened energies a lot of burdened
1: energies um that where we don't feel like we deserve we mm-hmm. uh, we have a we most most people feel more comfortable with constriction than expansion the The kind of who am I? we the way that we hold ourselves back from really um, all of us are infinite, incredible beings with incredible potential,
0: yeah,
1: but so many of us don't have access or don't feel comfortable with
0: that potential right expressing it for ma- for many, many reasons. And you know, to kind of dive into now the the first part of your book, you call it the dance specifically money as divine source. And my question for you is, what do you mean when you say money as divine source? What is divine source?
1: Well, if you think about one of the things I talk about is that creation is incredibly generous and there's more money on the planet than there ever has been ever. (laughs) (laughs) But Divine source is that place where we connect to our divinity, where we connect to um, what is possible. And money is an expression of that connection to possibility. Because we are, I, you know, in my book, it's pretty spiritual. We all are connected. We all are divine, even though we're living a human experience.
0: And would you say that when we like an ifs we talk about self energy right like with a capital s would you consider that self energy to be like our divine our divine oh, yeah, energy totally. yeah it's yeah. a connection to um that 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 being
1: that is our essence basically
0: and so having that understanding that we have this divine energy within us there's also would you say a divine energy around us and you know, all throwing flowing all around. It's also, would you say within money, money has its own divine energy.
1: I always say that the pure potential of money is the expression of divine love in the marketplace. So when, so considering we're divine (laughs) and that we have gifts, when we bring our gifts to the marketplace, we are the expression and divine love is when we bring our gifts to the marketplace, it's, a, it's an incredible act of self love and it's an incredible act of love to the world. Yeah. We're gifting, we're gifting the world with our gifts. Mm-hmm. So then money becomes that expression because we don't, you know, we're not exchanging a cow for a therapy session. Right. Yeah. <laughs> money is that exchange.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. And this just came to me in the back of my mind as you were just talking about that. And maybe it connects, maybe it doesn't. But what just came to my mind was, you know, I feel like, and maybe this is a a burdened belief within the healing field, which is, you know, kind of this hesitation or this looking down upon people who charge for providing certain services that are under the, right, right, you're rolling your eyes, right? Because yeah, it's... (laughs) But you hear this, and I feel like that creates this, again, this burdened energy surrounding, it's bad to charge, it's bad to charge money and for someone to pay you money for one of your gifts that you are providing this other person or multiple people, right? That, oh, it's this kind of burdened belief of like, oh, you should just be giving this, it should be just for free,
1: Well, that every industry has its own burdens. So the industry of the healing profession is um, you're supposed to do it for free. And I had a client of mine that I I worked with a lot of therapists. I had a client of mine who really finally had been to a point where she was feeling more comfortable with money. And she was talking about that in this IFS group she was part of. And this person goes, oh, you were so selfish. I'm like, she was just devastated, and you know, honestly, if you think about the healing, the the profession of artists, the poor starving artists, um, that's one of the burdens of the that profession. And honestly, and I had a uh, a friend and client of mine who was a minister. She said, you know, my first, I had two master's degrees, and my first job was out of college was twenty eight thousand a year. Yep. Yeah. And, and we worked really hard. And she her mantra was God's work deserves to be paid. God's work deserves to be paid. She got an amazing job as a minister, in a in a very wealthy community. <laughs> and, and, you know, God's work deserves to be paid. Yeah. Why is it? Why is? Um, why is a doctor worth more than a therapist?
0: That's what I was just thinking too was that example as well.
1: Yeah. So you're healing, you're healing. And honestly, if you think about it, if the therapist gives you the opportunity to live a life that is joyful, that is expansive, that is, that is where you feel incredible about yourself, that is probably one of the greatest gifts you could give to somebody. Mm. And why does that not deserve to be paid?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I and I see that or I feel that, and I've been turning towards parts of me that have been carrying burdens. When I started my private practice, right, because I spent many years working for an organization where they told you where what you're getting paid, right? They're like, okay, this is your salary, these are your hours, and it was kind of made it easy, right? So it was just like, oh, okay, this is what I do. But then after so many years, I just was feeling, okay, it's time for me maybe to veer out and and do my own thing. And so I started my own business, and then. The part, again, it's like what's not talked about is and then like graduate school wasn't talked about was how do you handle money and what do you charge? Because it's not like there's this cheat sheet out there, or at least I don't know about it, that puts in, you know, oh, here's much experience you have. Here's what you specialize in. (laughs) And that equals blank. This is how much you should charge, right? It's kind of just you're going with what you want and what you're feeling. And I know for myself and a lot of other therapists or healers out there who are, are in charge of their own business and what they're charging, that's a struggle. And finding, again, it's like, well, I feel like I want to charge this amount, but then maybe a part comes up that's like, oh, that's selfish. Or that's, who do you think you are? You know, like things like that and comparing and... um and all of that, and so again, I do feel like that's connected to. I'm only speaking for the the field of health because that's what I'm in. Where I've came across that within myself and within other people.
1: Well, one of the things I say that to people is that okay, um, you can decide what percentage that you want is a sliding scale. And the other part is that, and and you take that amount that that is. I'm I'm gifting gifting people so that's part of the gift gift economy as opposed to then the other it could be 10% it could be 20% it doesn't matter mm-hmm. and the and the rest you charge full full full
0: amount that you t- want to charge right but some measure of that is yeah with a sliding scale example it's kind of like this is my gift this is my gift to the world right knowing yeah. that um you you have a gift that you're
1: giving but you also have to eat. And then, and, the, and interestingly enough, in the olden days, <laughs> people, that was the economy. So you got a chicken for a healer. You got a, and you got a, whatever. They would bring you gifts. They would feed you. They would give you a place to live. All, you know, especially ministers, you had always a place to live. And then you would get you, you know, people would tithe and, and then they would bring you gifts. Mm -hmm. and feed you right it's not part of the economy anymore this is not how we work and you have to recognize that it's a different time and a different period
0: you're right and you know one thing that you mentioned at the end of the the dance chapter is and I I really love this at the end of each chapter you have a dance step which is like an offering to the readers of you know an exercise or something that they can do and at the end of that chapter you talk about uh, writing a letter to money. Which I remember you invited us to do during your seminar during the conference. And that was really interesting <laughs> just to notice what comes out. And for me, it was recognizing the parts of me that felt a variety of different ways towards money and how a lot of those parts were carrying burdened energy. And I think that's a really eye opening exercise that you offer people so for those listening you can buy your book and go to the end of that first chapter and and write a letter to money and you give more detail in regards to you know maybe what to include in that but
1: that um exercise is so powerful for so many people and um interestingly enough though you know in the coaching field they tell you um because I don't do therapy anymore. I kind of I still do IFS. I but I, it's technically not psychotherapy. Yeah. It's technically coaching. Yeah. Um, it's pretty similar. But anyway, so they tell you, uh, don't give too much in your book, because and why would people want to hire you? Why would they want to take a workshop? Why would they want to take your course when you're giving that to your when you're giving everything away? And honestly, I couldn't do that. So, my idea, because it's I'm really passionate about healing trauma in the collective, and one of the biggest sources of trauma is money, yeah, and how we how we are with it and how how it gets distributed and so, I felt like if if people could only buy my book for sixteen ninety five and and they they get what they need from that that's a, that's okay and if people want to go further and they have the money to do that, then then
0: I'm available, yeah, and then that kind of just weaves very naturally into the next part of your book, which is dancing with the stories. And you talk about money's story and getting into like its wounds because <laughs> it's been a money's been around for how long did you say in your book? I mean, a long, a long time,
1: time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it's interesting. I did a workshop um um where I had people put the burdens that they were carrying behind them, the burdens of their ancestors, the all the parts of them that had issues with money so they could be in self. And then we, we together in the workshop identified the burdens of money and put that behind money. And so I had people um, talk to money from self and then go over to the self of money mm. and kind of integrate that, the self of money and have money's self talk to people. It oh, was neat. incredibly powerful. Yeah, that's cool. And but w- one day I uh opened up the Akashic Records of Money and I heard um the predominant matrix of humanity is domination and greed and I have been aligned with that. Mm. I always whenever I say this I always I feel like crying. <laughs> the new matrix of humanity is domination and greed and I have been aligned with that. Can you please help me? Mm really touched, uh and then so that though that statement in and of itself is incredibly powerful um first is the fact that money knows that there's a new paradigm that's happening there's there's a new paradigm out and money's money's on it (laughs) (laughs) the second thing is that we have so if you talk about burdens we have projected all of the burdens of the human not all the burdens but a lot of the burdens of the human race onto money mm. and that's not money's fault and that it wants to be an agent for good
0: not and for that bad, domination yeah. not for no, that greed not, yeah.
1: yeah 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 and so you when you think about it it totally makes sense if we cuz earlier we were talking about um you know countries have a consciousness and countries have burdens that and that money as as a consciousness, um, it's not the dollar bill, but as a consciousness has all these burdens that yeah. we we projected onto it. and that is not what money is
0: right. Just like we think of ourselves that way too, right? Like I am myself and I have parts, but I am not my I'm not my burdens. I am not my wounds, right just like how money. Is not it? It's not its wounds and burdens, but it has its own divine self energy. Right. And it wants to be aligned with that. With good. With good. Yeah. Yeah. And you also mentioned in the chapter, yeah, the stories of our ancestors. And this one stands out to me because I've always felt drawn towards NIFS. We talk about legacy burdens and. I've done my own personal work with my IFS therapist around my legacy burdens. I just interviewed Ann Cinco, you know, talking about legacy burdens as her specialty within the field of IFS. And you led us in another guided experience in that seminar that I attended with you. And that was really powerful for me as well. And it was very visual for me. You invited like our ancestors that are connected to any of the burdens that we were still carrying, you know, that have been passed down connected to money and uh, any negative beliefs or messages and struggles and all of that. And it was so interesting what I experienced in that moment during that guided meditation with you. Cause there was a release and then there was an invitation, right. And like a passing down of a gift.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I want to share these with you because I just think, they're interesting. So I saw my mom's side and my dad's side. My dad's side ancestors handed me a paintbrush. And my, and my mom's side handed me a piece of jade. Wow. And I'll never forget the image of what I saw in my mind's eye. Like the paintbrush was like a thin, you know, like a painter's like you would painting on a canvas, not like a big, you know, house brush, but it was like a nice thin paintbrush. And I keep coming across that over the past two years because I haven't really taken the time until now. I think that's why I contacted you at this point in my life now because I'm feeling ready to turn towards all of this that is within within me. But I've been coming across now even more frequently this message of like creativity and literally painting which I find it. And and I used to paint. That's something I used to do a lot. And it's in the history of my family, but it's not something I've done in a long time. And, and then the Jade thing is still just interesting to me. I I don't know if you have any thoughts on (laughs) or knowledge about any of that.
1: No, you should look up um, the, the Jade because Jade in China is like really, really um, honored and respected. So I don't know what your how and it's if the, if you think about it it's green, mm-hmm. um you know the money in the United States is green, yeah. So it could be metaphoric, but I think that there's more to it than than metaphor.
0: Yeah, and and yeah, it's it just what you led us through in that guided meditation. It really helped me connect to to all of that. So thank you. And anything else you want to you want to share in regards to the stories of our ancestors and the power that that plays within us in the present in regards to money. Well, when I work with people, the
1: first thing we do is clear ancestral burdens because um, it's not your well I, I don't say it's not your job to carry your ancestors' burdens. It's 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 our job to rise above. And help, and so when we when we do these clearings and unburdenings of our ancestors, we're actually clearing clearing the whole um, ancestral lineage, and supporting the ancestral lineage to um, to unburden. Mm-hmm. That opens the field for many, many um, more and more energy to be released, and then yeah. something else to come in. So basically, that's what we did. We brought something else in. Mm-hmm. The legacy, so so the legacy burdens are one thing, but they, um, your ancestors then, as a gift to you for helping them heal, um, give you uh, an heirloom.
0: Yeah. And I just again, I just remember that so vividly. And I like to think of legacy burdens in the way of it's like we're in a room and the room is filled with smoke. And we're trying to search for something that is ours, like a treasure chest or something, but it's hard to see. And then when we have that awareness of, oh, wait a minute, I can actually turn towards the smoke and maybe, you know, it goes deeper than this, of course, in terms of honoring it and and any witnessing and all of that, but I can open a window and invite this smoke to be freed in some way, which then can invite maybe access to more clarity And seeing what is directly mine.
1: Yeah. As opposed to what is ancestral.
0: What is ancestral, right? Which can make it more foggy, literally, you know?
1: Well, yeah, because a lot of what we think is ours is not ours.
0: Right. But it's impacting us.
1: Yeah, it totally is impacting us. And so once you've cleared the ancestral burdens, uh, the legacy burdens, then um it opens the door to um like light. yeah it's <laughs> you know you're talking about the foggy me- metaphor like you you can actually walk out the door. you don't have to stay in the room exactly <laughs> That's a whole yeah. other deal. Uh-huh. And um you are healing them in, in so if in non-local reality, there is no time and space. So if you think about that past, present, and future is in the now, right now, it's all together, then you are basically sending them healing along the whole ancestral lineage. And they are that's why they're gifting you because mm. you have healed them. You have allowed them to release these burdens.
0: Yeah. That, that's that's beautiful what's so powerful of... about
1: legacy clearing um healing legacy burdens.
0: Yes, absolutely. And then You go into another chapter, which you titled Dancing with Money, and you talk about money as a guide and a friend, which I also love. And so can you talk about how do we connect with money as a guide?
1: Well, first off, I write write a letter to money (laughs) (laughs) and and connect to money uh, and figure out what kind of relationship you have. And then the next thing is uh, the next part of that that um, exercise is um, write down what kind of relationship you'd like to have, and that, and on my website I do have a little meditation to connect with money, so that's one of the things that people can do. But it's really important. Um, money it's hard to have money as a guide when you hate money. Right. Yeah, you have to really heal that relationship first. Okay. And, and I then, look at it as um you know when we think about guides and there in in the IFS model there is energy for guides and mm-hmm. being guided by these other um expansive energies if money itself is connected to the fact that we are living in this third dimensional plane, that we, uh, that we need money to, in order to, to feed and clothe ourselves and, you know, educate ourselves, all the things that we need for money, then it would make sense that we would have a guide Mm
0: -hmm. that would
1: help us to bring that energy in
0: for the other things that we need in our life. Yeah. And so when you say guide, just for the listeners, you know, that because I, I did, I took or I listened to your guided meditation where you're inviting the listener to just to bring some awareness to does money show up with an image, right? Or an, an energy that you can see or feel that has a guide energy. And for me, it showed up as a white rabbit. And there was a part of me that went like, no, that can't be Right. And then like that part gave space and it was a rabbit. It was a white rabbit. It was cute and fluffy and full of energy. And the message that it had for me was it went into my arms and it, you know, kind of gave this message of like, take care of me, respect me, you know, be with me. And then it showed it like hopping around in like this playful energy vortex. And it was kind of like, and I will multiply, you know? I will
1: prosper. Rabbits do multiple. Yeah,
0: (laughs) That's what they're known for. Yeah. And I I laid there and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. And so let's say, yeah, money for me, the guide image is this white bunny. And so what would be the benefits of if I've made that connection, I have that image, I have that experience in my awareness, in my mind's eye of connecting with this bunny. How can I yeah how can I use that I guess or what are the benefits of that
1: the bunny the bunny showed up you know if we think about um in Native American tradition there there are um um talismans or or guides that show up as animals but you know I've got a client who's um she's she, she connects to dragons and her her money guide is this a pink dragon named Portia. Yeah. Hello. And then I have another person that it, it, the her money guide showed up as a Sammy Davis character in a pink LeMay and uh, a gold lame suit. Like yeah. they show up, they show up basically how you need them to show up. Mm. For you, it shows up as something fluffy, something fun, something that has energy. Mm hmm. You you wouldn't connect to a pink dragon named Portia. That's not your thing. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I I had my I just recently had my book translated into Spanish and I told her to not to say money as a guide, but to say money mentor to me that that has more. So if I rewrite it again, um, I'll I'll add that as opposed to money guide. So if you think of a money mentor, that makes more sense. Something that some some energy that is a mentor for you to help you
0: transform and heal your relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so maybe would you say, you know, having that image of a of a bunny rabbit for me, I could take some time, you know, in meditation, turning inwards, inviting that connection with that bunny, and just ask it questions, right, or just spend time with it in the way that it needs, and that's nurturing this relationship.
1: Yeah, and it's money. saying I mean, it. It totally makes sense. It's like attend to me. Money loves attention. Most people don't attend to it. They, yeah, they don't give it attention. They don't honor it. They don't respect it.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like a- so The
1: message it's giving you is like makes sense to me, but it came to you as a bunny for somebody <laughs> else to come to them some some other way. You know, right? I have a friend of mine who's who's really Catholic and is money guide is the holy
0: spirit like mm-hmm. hello that's okay yeah right whatever is going to resonate with the person in a way that makes sense cuz yeah it wouldn't make sense for you to be like imagine money as looking like this right cuz it's that not, not going to resonate with every single person
1: no and money honestly i i have, it's an energy for me it's a really powerful energy that i feel
0: mm. And so you don't really, don't really necessarily, you don't a, have an image.
1: I don't have an image.
0: Okay. And so how do you feel it then? Like, do you feel it like within your body or around your body?
1: No, it it's, it's in the same way I, as I connect to guides. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, so I feel it as, as an energy mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily, so, you know, if you think about it, it's like all these things don't necessarily have form. Right. Angels don't necessarily have form, but they take on yeah. form when we need them. So I remember years ago, um, one of my clients would go into a garden and this being would appear and I'm like, and, and they have all these messages. And I'm like, words, I said, hello, I want that too. I kept hearing, you don't need it, but I want it. You don't need it. <laughs> like, like, you don't need hello? it.
0: <laughs> and that's interesting too, right? Kind of this understanding or clarity, I guess, of when maybe would you say parts of us are really striving towards wanting something, but maybe the the reality is the energy of money is kind of like, you don't need that particular thing, you know, or you don't, that message, like you just said, you were able to kind of have that relationship with it and hear that of like, no, you don't need it. <laughs> you don't need that in that particular way.
1: Yeah. And if I really feel into it, it has more of a male energy and it's very expansive and it's really huge. Um, that's the sense that I have of it. And if I, I could really feel into it, there's um, there's like this gold. The one of the reasons that we have had um, metals as um, coins that they've used in the past and gold in particular was very um, so because gold has a really, really high vibration. Mm. And so when you think about that as opposed to money and this energy that is very high and I just see it as um, moving around and spreading gold, gold dust everywhere. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's, it's raising the vibration.
0: Yeah. Raising
1: frequencies.
0: Okay. Is that why in, your guided meditation, specifically the one with the guides, you mentioned like, imagine like a light is shining, like you're in a waterfall of light. For me, I saw like a white light and then you invited in the, the imagery of gold. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And then the next part of the book, it's called dancing with conscious co-creation. And this is where you get into like the transceiver and the receiver and talking about humans create their lives in each moment by what they are sending and what we are able to receive. So I want to repeat that. It's like Humans create their lives in each moment by what they are sending and what we are able to receive. Yeah. When I read that, I wrote that down because that really stood out to me.
1: So each moment is a choice point. Every moment you have the opportunity to make a choice towards a a future. And we have multiple futures. We have multiple, we have, there are multiple timelines. There's many, many time, uh, if you think about it, in quantum physics, the idea that there are multiple universes at the same time. So we are living in this particular timeline and, and then we ha- every moment is a choice point for the what we're creating so when we realize that that is incredibly powerful yeah and our thoughts are the, are the first energy that goes out but it's not just in our in our words we don't realize the power of our words because that's that's what you send out interesting and then the the other thing is your ability to receive. Most of us our receiving channels are really really muddy and they're very constricted. So you feel com- whatever it is that you feel comfortable with is what you're going to bring in. But then the other thing is is what's enough. Exactly. So in our society, we we have this idea that the more that the more that we have, the more value we have. And so that's the whole thing about getting into success because I realized money was just one issue that around success mm-hmm. and our current definition of success that's based on um, consumption and and who has value and who doesn't have value yeah. this is actually what's killing the planet even more. Yeah. Um, so really be conscious of, of wh- who am I in relationship to the world? What are the choices that I'm making? What is enough? And, and that's not from, a uh, place of constriction that's from a place
0: of choice. So is the Does I guess makes we, sense. Well, <laughs> this brings up stuff for me because I feel like again going into creating my own business and I've asked this question how multiple times like to other therapist friends of mine who have their own businesses I'm like what is enough? <laughs> you know, cuz it's like we're in control of our schedules right? We're in control. We don't have someone, we're not working for someone else, right? So we're in control of our schedules. We're in control of how many people we see in a week, how long those sessions last and how much we charge. Yeah. So this is where though, like for me, I guess parts of me are getting sometimes in it, cause I've just been in my own business now for not even two years. So I still feel like I'm in that, I'm, I'm growing, I'm learning, but it is that question of like, well, what is enough? And I know it's different for every single person.
1: Well, I'm when I'm talking about what is enough, I'm not talking about what is enough to for income,
0: like I'm like yeah, like about, to make.
1: No, not necessarily. What is enough for having? Right. So if you think about if if my money is, it's it's about being generous with myself and generous with others. If you're right. not making enough to be generous with others, then we need people that with that have money <laughs> who are spiritually oriented. So when we so as opposed to the people that have money that I talk about that are poverty of spirit.
0: Mm, that's right. They're
1: not generous. They're not, and they're it's just amassing more and more and more money where there's so many people on the planet that don't have enough food.
0: Exactly. That's
1: what I'm talking about when I talk about enough.
0: Yes and and that's what i i feel as well is because again it's like you can be let's say just making in the sense of money you could be making a certain amount of money but at the same time the system of you could be not the word not dying necessarily but this kind of starvation of other forms of wealth uh, spiritual wealth relationship wealth all of these other forms of wealth that we can have connection to that that we're not having the time or resource to be able to put our energy into as well
1: well yeah so um in my book i talk about the seven forms of wealth right <laughs> and and people don't realize that the word the origin of the word wealth is well-being mm, and really? wealth has been uh, the word wealth now the frequency of that is quite low because we've projected all, all that burdens onto the word wealth Mm -hmm. and our and a lot of people think oh wealthy people are really i hate wealthy people let them die kill them off you know like that's not helpful but financial wealth is one form of wealth but you need financial wealth to be able to and you to be able to be generous go back to this idea to be generous with yourself and others but if you don't have a sense of um right work wealth you're going to have a hard time having financial wealth or spiritual wealth or all, all these kinds of things that a lot of people have spiritual wealth, but they, they don't have right work wealth. And and so my talk um, that I gave to, to the keynote that I gave last month was um, the Modern Mystics New Manifesto. I believe that every one of us who walks a spiritual path and who believes that we have connection to the divine that's one of the definitions of mystic, are mystics. And we've got to shift out of the, the mystic who's spiritual doesn't need money to recognizing that's one of the ways that source brings in um, the energy of of the divine into yeah. this world. Okay. And the more spiritual people have money, the, the better it's going to be on the planet because that allows money to be an agent for good. Because those people will make choices based on, do we have a world that's collaborative and generous? That's right. And so when I talk about what is enough, like, what is enough as far as things? Yeah. Not what is enough as far as far as income. Mm
0: -hmm. That's totally different. Yeah. And so things would be like what?
1: Do I want a new, so when they, all these um, wealth people that are working, well, imagine the nice fancy car and you're driving this Porsche and blah, 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 you know, down the street and, you know, it's about ha- having things. I don't want a nice, you know, it's not, not my, th- so when we think about how many things <laughs> do we need, right? because, you know, the United States uses up four planets, we have to recognize that that we, we can't do that to the world. Right. We have to make choices that are based on sustainability for all.
0: And not destruction and greed. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And so then as you were talking about, you know, opening yourself to receive, you mentioned in your book uh, some of the ways that you, you know, recommend people to open that receiver. And you talk about like joy spotting. And so, like noticing where you experience joy, right? Like, what brings you joy? Is it out in nature? Is it playing with your dog? You know, divine art of lingering, which I thought was fun because parts, yeah, parts of me that love daydreaming, you know. And and you mentioned like the seventeen second thing of like just spend like seventeen seconds with a specific well, thought.
1: Scientific. That's a scientific thing. So, which is so neat. Yeah, because the brain is organized to uh, to look for something that's fearful or for, look for some some sort of ways that we're going to be harmed as our right. protectors, whatever. And so the more that you um, train the brain to um, be in the place of joy, the joy spotting thing, or to to be in a place where you're really feeling a sense of satisfaction, then we can automatically go more into that than into fear.
0: Yeah. Makes so much sense. Fear is very powerful. Oh yeah, for sure. You talk about developing a generous spirit and dancing with joy and delight. And those are beautiful messages and definitely things that we can invite into every day in some way or another, and they can open up that receiver. And then the last part of your book, you mentioned dancing with money in the marketplace, flowing out and in, and you talk about this, you talk about conscious mindful spending. And that really stood out to me as well. uh, Just based on, again, kind of like my own personal history with money and like noticing when I've maybe been like driving to Target (laughs) and then I'm like in Target spending all this money and I walk out feeling like, what did I just buy? And what was it actually doing? Right? Like that part of me that was maybe leading me to target and wanting me to buy all these things. You talk about filling the void
1: mm-hmm.
0: and also this uh, spending trance. Can you talk a little bit about all of that?
1: Well, you know, there's a reason why they have all these things um, at at the checkout counter <laughs> that you didn't think that you needed right um, because we're bored when when we're bored we will go well maybe i want this or maybe i want that so we're trying to f- <laughs> <laughs> that's the idea of kind of filling that void but the void is more about um, this empty place that, that um we want to f- so if you have a, a, a spending addiction because that's really big if you have a right. spending addiction it's filling the void of something yeah you're trying and you're trying to fill it with with things Mm
0: -hmm. right or maybe that energy of that excitement of yeah buying the thing but then like after the fact sometimes I know for me it's like after I have them swipe the card or I swipe it there's a part that's like (laughs) oh no (laughs) you know that and then maybe it leads to oh well let's go return this the next day you know, type well, thing. People do that
1: all the time. Yeah. yeah, and it's and that's not conscious spending. What and that then goes back to recognizing that. Um, you know, I talk consumer behavior, and which is the psychology of buying and ways in which um, mark marketers and stores um, organize their stores based on trying to get you to buy something.
0: What's going on? and and i know there's a whole psychology around that right industrial organizational psychology and all of those things that you know they've done all these studies and to to kind of experiment with what are the best places to physically put certain items in a store and you know what shelf do you put them on and You're right yeah what colors do you have you know oh, yeah. Yeah, what yeah, lighting yeah. do you have you know all of that's kind of designed around kind of the psychology of us and what looks inviting?
1: Well, when I was teaching it, so um, I was teaching in China. Most of them had no idea what I was saying when I was talking. So I had to give them uh, uh, something that they could do in Chinese. So I divided them into little groups and they had to do um, like a, a consumer behavior report where they picked a a store um, and just kind of watched what happened. Like, do people go in here? Do they go there? Do they walk in and walk out? Well, like, what what is it that's going on? Yeah. Because you're right. There's a lot of stuff that has to do with um, where the colors are, where things are, the lighting that makes a big difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so fast food chains are organized, so if you look at the colors, they're really bright. You don't want to spend a whole lot of time there
0: mm. there
1: there's a whole psychology of color based on um like they want people to get in and get out. They don't want them to linger in a fast food chain
0: interesting, makes sense, yeah, <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> yeah makes and then, sense
1: and then um unconscious what what was the word that i used um it's um trance you, you
0: call it the spending trance
1: the spending trance and then so there's there's another term there that's about um buying something that you really don't want because you don't think that it's okay to have something you really do want oh so a lot of people will um, buy something on sale that they don't really care for, but uh-huh. they kind of say, well, it's on sale, and it comes home, and you don't ever wear it. And
0: <laughs> Right.
1: Yes as opposed to you know saving your money for something that you really want that's probably really ex- a little bit more expensive than you have because think about it so clothing in particular a piece of clothing is 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 expensive as how you use how much you use it mm. so if you have a piece of clothing that you spent more money for but you use it a lot and you use it for many many years that is very in very inexpensive piece of clothing as opposed to something that you got on sale that you never use exactly that you don't really like yes the way that people buy in Europe is they they don't have a lot but what they buy is really high quality right and the idea is to buy something so how that's a whole other thing how we buy uh we are taught how to buy by our parents that's based on their own legacy burdens.
0: And that makes sense too. Cause that's what we're witnessing, right? That's right. Yeah. That's what we're witnessing. And, and that's been something for me that, you know, you know, when I was in college, <laughs> I, I went to, you know, all these different stores and started opening up credit cards. So at one point I had like five different clothing store credit cards <laughs> for like old Navy and, you know, banana Republic and all these different random places express And, oh gosh, it was, it was not good. And I was just collecting all of these things that weren't of quality, you know, and I wasn't valuing. It was just, oh, let's go to the mall. And again, it could have been boredom. It could have been other emotional stuff that I was going through at the time in my late teens, early twenties. And then coming out of that like trance state I remember this realization moment. I was in my, it was like my second job at a graduate school. And I remember feeling this intense energy of shame, you know, looking at all these credit cards that I had built up money on for all these, you know, the past four years or something. And then just being like, oh my gosh, what have I done? You know, and then I cut them all up, threw them away, canceled them, but then spent my time paying them off. And I remember paying off the last one and just extending gratitude and this understanding that also forgiveness. And I know that's something you talk about in the book, too, that that's an important step in all of this healing. I feel like forgiveness of, you know, stuff of how we treated money, of how we've disrespected money and forgiveness. Yeah, to all of those past and even present experiences where we have had this Trans spending or filling the voids and just not being in relationship with money and having that forgiveness. I know for me, I've experienced that is very important.
1: Well, there's a lot of shame around debt. Yeah. And and I tell people you are not your debt. Mm. It's really important to recognize you are not your debt and know that that was something in the past. Recognize the parts of you that actually bought things and and you have them and that's okay and then when we recognize that we're not our debt and we let go of the shame because there is a lot of shame around that yeah then you can forgive yourself and actually create a relationship with the debt a woman who had a huge amount of debt and i said let's talk to debt it's amazing because were debt talked back to her and then she was able to have a different relationship than feeling overwhelmed and burdened and um and she gradually paid stuff off
0: that makes a lot of sense yeah that's a beautiful way of of again right inviting that connection to the consciousness that is there with debt with our savings with our checking account right <laughs> and you know and and then yeah you ended again talking about making love to the world by sharing our gifts and having that finding self-worth in our unique gifts brings our divinity to any situation, finding our golden thread, taking back our power of choice. And then I wrote down with underlying underneath it, you are divine, you are enough. And that was a beautiful way I felt like to end the book.
1: Yeah, that last chapter was eluding me a lot. And then one day I just just downloaded it. And that last paragraph, which is money, come dance with me, dance with me and my humanity and my divinity and mm-hmm. recognizing that we are divine mm-hmm. and we are human and we are enough.
0: It was so beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing this book with the world and that gift. I appreciate it. You are so welcome. And so for the listeners, anything you want to share in regards to services that you are currently providing? I know you mentioned, I think, like coaching.
1: Uh, I do coaching, uh, individual coaching, and I'm working on creating a um, group program, which uh, will not just be about money, but my, it's really important to recognize my book is not just about money. It's about all of these different things, recognizing opening your receiving channels and connecting to desire and what do I really want and all these other kinds of things because because money is a reflection of our lives yeah and so if we look at it as um how do we create a life that it is worthy of who we are that's what it's about. So that should, that'll should that be launching in the fall, and people can connect to me and buy my book, Oh, Money, Come Dance With Me. It's available on Amazon, and you can order it through your local bookstore. If you don't want to do Amazon, I know that's So it is available through your local bookstore. And hopefully shortly it will be available in Spanish. Right now right. Um, I'm just working on... Um, having the designer just do the layout and then probably in
0: the next month it'll be available in Spanish. Perfect. Great. And how can people get in contact with your services and all of that? Is it through your website?
1: Um, On my website, there's a contact form and my website is successwithsoul.com. And my email address is gale, G-A-L-E, like the wind, at successwithsoul.com.
0: Okay. Okay. And I will put all of that in the show notes so people can have easy click to finding a link to your book, your email, and the website. Thank you. Thank you, Gail. Yeah, truly. Thank you so much for spending the time with me today to to go through your book. It it truly is a gift. And I'm just really grateful to be able to connect with you. So thank you so much.
1: Uh, I don't know how you're going to edit this because
0: everything we said was pretty profound, but whatever. I'm just going to keep all of it. (laughs) All right. Talk to you later. Bye, everyone.